Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hey, hey, welcome. So happy that you're joining us today. It is Wednesday, and there's a lot going on in the news, and I, I didn't even get a chance to ask my guest co-host today. Todd Belcor, who is the executive director and co-founder of Social Change, joins me in studio. And I didn't have a chance to ask if you've been following the news today. So first, let's settle in and say hello. <laughs> hello, hello. It's so great to be here. Uh, Good to see you and be with you and your audience as always. Thank you. I had the absolute pleasure of being in Los Angeles with you for the International Change Fest. And it was, it, you know, every time I go, there's something new. And I, it makes me think, what did I miss in the last, you know, segment of film? Mm. And um, it was really, it was so just uh, my heart, and especially because there was one that was Chicago-based. Yeah. Those drone shots of our city just took my breath away. But there was a lot of, uh, there, the one, the panel that I, I worked on was with uh, people who are incarcerated and mm-hmm. telling their stories and getting their story out about what it means to be in jail. Yeah. And, and is that, Todd, uh, would you say one of the compelling elements of you getting involved in the legal profession? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea was to, what skills can I garner to allow me to help people actually be free? <laughs> Understanding all the different pushes and pulls and hardships that people are enduring. And, you know, I went to undergrad to become a doctor, and I realized at some point that that was limiting in terms of what needed to be done to change the circumstances that people were enduring to, to for them to truly be free. You needed to change laws. You needed to provide legal assistance. And those are things, of course, you can only do at law school. And that's why I started a nonprofit that makes sure that prioritizes doing those things for people in need. And I have talked to you uh, many times about the work that you do in in, uh, efforts to make sure that people know their rights. And that's something we, I mean, people don't realize that every single thing we do um, can impact our freedom, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's driving, uh, voting, uh, going to the grocery store, just knowing even like what the labels are and how that ends up being there, right? How information is shared with us. And the reason I was asking if you've been uh, following anything in the news is, uh, I know we're trying to fix our cameras over, oh, here's my phone. Uh, I've been, I don't know if you followed anything in the news today. Uh, I was trying to reach out to several Congress people because because it was crazy in D.C. Did yeah. you watch any of this? I saw some of the fireworks uh, through Instagram and a little bit via X. But <laughs> I'm sure there's more that I haven't quite had a chance to uncover. Well, I, I, you know, there are days where I'm just like starting my, oh, starting my day. Am I on the, do I have him on the wrong mic maybe or is this not here? Oh, can you move your mic a little bit over that way? I'm going to do this. Yeah, right there. Let's see how that sounds. Is that better, Andy? Is it better, Andy? Oh, yes. We got a big thumbs up from the producer's booth. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was watching the local news, you know, and wa- laughing at something that Pat Tomasulo said on WGN Morning News. And I was like, okay, let's see what's going on nationally. So I changed the channel. And, Holy cow! <laughs> I was like, I was, I was watching and uh, Mace was talking, Congresswoman Mace was talking, and this is a, it was a committee hearing to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, is he, he was in the room. He was sitting, and I didn't, I did not yet know what was happening because I had not gone on social media for the chaos that was ensuing. So he, do you know that he basically showed up, mm-hmm. right? They had subpoenaed him 
And the back and forth originally that I remember, oh, this is so perfect because you're a lawyer. Um, <laughs> right on time. Right? Was that uh, he, you know, I thought the offer was, you know, on his terms, you can either do it behind closed doors, you either do a committee hearing or a deposition behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And But they, then when it came down to it, they only were giving him the choice. He'd only be behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And which... I like so many of these things I didn't realize. They've had many meetings behind closed doors. Yeah. And one of the things that Jamie Raskin brought up today was that of all those meetings, all those interviews, they've only been able to have two of those like documents out of 17. Mm. So they choose which ones. It's only the ones that reinforce their presumption of guilt of President Biden. That's right. Right? So there's 15 documents, 15 interviews that we have, we don't have access to. And so they only want, but so when someone is subpoenaed, right, in, in general, see, because Paul Farvar told me that you often work with a witness. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because they're not, they're not trying to prosecute Hunter Biden. They're trying to prosecute the President of the United States. That's right. So with that, if you have a witness, you work with the witness and they they kind of get to negotiate the terms. Well, in order to make sure that you have a chance to have as much of a good faith conversation as possible, because even though you swear and, you know, attest to say everything truthfully, you want to have some just basic considerations for what people are navigating to make sure that it's a space where people feel safe enough to kind of impart whatever their truth is. And it's just a natural part of the process. Okay. So in general, there, there is some back and forth as the terms of the the interview. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just don't understand what's happening with these folks. <laughs> I, so, so that doesn't make any sense. So he showed up. Yeah. So, okay. He's like, I'm here. And, he, and the day that he was supposed to be behind closed doors, he did show up that day, just not on their terms. Yeah. He's like, I, I want to do this in front of the cameras. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. And they didn't want to do that. That's right. <laughs> and that says, speaks volumes. Yeah. Because they want to be able to, like you mentioned, only just pick out the pieces that make sense for whatever the narrative they're trying to spin is and not necessarily allow the full tapestry of the truth to be unveiled. Did you see uh, Congresswoman May say you are the epitome of white privilege? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, what is happening? She's <laughs> No, I saw. I, here's a mirror. Here, lady, yeah. let me show you something. Go I, ahead. I saw a lot of people going all the way in. And I think when it comes to kind of the bastardization of of the power that you have to, you know, subpoena power and opportunity to ask people questions on the record and things like that. When people are are using it in such an overtly political way, mm-hmm. you need to call that out because yeah. I think that's what people are tired of right now. I mean, the polarization in this country is is you know off the charts. And, you know, it's continued to be fed by media and instances like this where people are only showcasing the most vile acts that someone's committed without actually getting the context to help them better understand everything that took place and how this may be representative of culture at a time or whatever's going on within the industry or something else to help people have more perspective. And none of that's afforded. No, none of that stuff. I want to find because to to, uh, to your point about, uh, you know, I hope someone pushed back on that. There was a lot, there was so much pushing. I mean, verbal pushing, (laughs) a lot of shoving. There was a lot going on. It felt like WWE for sure. Oh, it was. It was, I mean, there was a moment where, so he walked out and, and, you know, I thought I, I was kind of um, going back and forth mentally about when he decided to get up and leave and it was when they were about to turn to Marjorie Trailer Green, uh, Taylor Green and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and he just got up and walked away she's like you're afraid of a strong Republican woman which he had just sat through everything Mace had said so I guess she's saying that Mace is weak but what neither here nor there and I thought should he have sat there you know but 
the point. But as soon as he got up, I mean, every every news outlet, including Fox News, followed him. Yeah. So you have to watch everything that she said on replay, which was, you know, whatever garbage. And then and then it got sort of out of control. Comer called a break because she wanted to introduce new evidence. She wanted to introduce evidence. Yeah. Not new evidence. Just. Oh, my God. There's so much. Can I say the word that the Congressman Garcia said? Can I say the, the kind of pics that he said? That, uh, penis pics? Because he doesn't sound as good as the real thing that he said. I'm it a, sounds very different. Say, people who said, I mean, May said you don't have balls to Hunter Biden. Garcia was saying penis pic, but not penis. He was saying the other word. I don't know if I should, because I, I now have him all. He said, hold on. I, no, I can't do that. Hold no, fight the urge. Pick. <laughs> I don't know why your penis would ding, but there it is. Um, I mean, it was it was insane. So. Marjorie Taylor, Tater, uh, whatever her name is, Tater Green. How about Tater? Can I call her Tater Tots? Um, <laughs> she wanted to introduce evidence, and Raskin was like, "It's not, uh, are we agreeing to showing porn pictures?" And, he, and she goes, "They're not pornography." And he goes, "You would know. <laughs> You're the yeah. expert." <laughs> nice and nasty. It's getting really, really vile <laughs> on the floor of the Congress. But I don't um, understand why pictures of him nude are relevant to a contempt hearing. No, they absolutely aren't. And that's why they are right to kind of try to not only clarify the boundary of what's presentable evidence, but also just call her out on that. I mean, yeah. she's obviously just trying to shame him and, and embarrass him as much as humanly possible. And by virtue of that, the president as well. Yes. And there's no place for that. That's not the purpose of the hearing. Uh, that's not what Americans are looking for by and large. And there's no reason for the chair of any committee to allow that to go forward. Well, when you I mean, that, I, I, every time at every time someone that I disagree with, let's just say that mostly Republicans in Congress or wherever. But um, whenever they say the American people want and I, I'm like, yelling at my dumb. I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, and I know that if the shoe were on the other foot, perhaps. I mean, like, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a situation where you know when, when the difference is right. They should they are showing all these pictures, and and I, I think it was my, um, it wasn't Raskin, but somebody else in Congress was holding up the picture while they were waiting of Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. So then on social media, you get a, a flurry of Bill Clinton's with Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, the difference is, yeah. I hold him accountable. To, he's right. a pedophile. Get him. Yeah, I got no problem with that. And also, particularly specific to the charge, too. Yeah. If like the accusation is related to sexual activity, then maybe having Hunter Biden's body out is, is something that's helpful. But otherwise, it's not only superfluous; it's just the level of nastiness that makes people want to pull further away from politics at a time where yes. we need people to pay more attention than ever. That's going to be a very pertinent conversation at six o'clock with our young guest. By the way, just so you know. <laughs> I I have because I, this is you know we kind of briefly touched on the Middle East before we settled in a little bit, mm-hmm. but my son is and I think young people seem to be driven away from um, a lot of the things that they had previously been fighting for under uh, you know the sort of umbrella of being a Democrat are feeling like they're it's not it's not it's not good enough for them right now that's not yeah. where they feel compelled to stay and they're going with third party or not at all yeah right and and I. Uh, I, I understand that right now. What I've been trying to tell our, our young guests coming up later, uh, my son, other young people, is this is this vote is a vote to live to fight another day. Yeah, that's that's the only way I can put it. I, I know it's not the best circumstances and the best choice. Yeah. Uh, right now it actually is out of all, but for me, what we've seen is quite a bit of data, and I'm sure the young person, uh, we watched the subs just saying young person, we should say <laughs> the, the brother's name, Brennan. Um, there's actually a lot of data demonstrating that the country is 
the the multiple kind of ranking system allows a country to be more representative in terms of the outcomes. So um, more often than not, people's second choice of, say, someone's first choice may be Trump, but their second choice may be of Biden or whoever, a libertarian candidate. And that gives you a better idea where the country actually stands as a whole. And, um, and also when you kind of actually put those choices in line, it'll show that the country is generally learning to be a little more libertarian and a little more progressive, but less of the kind of diehard conservatism that's being espoused by the Republican party. So I think, I think people would be surprised by the, the different findings, but it's, it's a very high stakes experiment. There's no question. Exactly. And, and I also, uh, I was out to, I was, I was having coffee with, uh, Brennan cause, uh, his father, uh, Tim Hennigan was the committeeman of the 41st ward when mm-hmm. I was going through the whole process of the appointment process and running yeah. for office. And, it was very uh, helpful and supportive. Um, I was telling you know the thing about whether it's RFK Jr. or if it's uh, uh, Cornell West or Jill Stein, any of the other candidates. You know, I I understand powerful people come to you and say, hey, we're going to get behind you. We're going to give you money. We're going to. But I want to know what you're doing, what you've been doing. I get that you know uh, RFK Jr. has been working with uh, you know raising uh, the uh, the. Um, the sort of approach we have to our environment and also he's an anti-vaxxer and has spread a lot of misinformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, what have you been doing that leads to you running for the most powerful office in yeah. the world? Yeah, I think it's, it's unfortunate that people's only qualification needs to be simply the desire to run. <laughs> I think, um, people recognize the opportunity to be a foil and I know, um, based on name recognition and, and things beyond that, people are sponsored and supported as a result, not because of their policy platforms per se, but as much as anything about the opportunity for them to gain attention and gain, um, votes that could be peeled away and kind of make this dogfight kind of really nastier than it should be. I think, um, Policy discussion should be the basis for all this stuff, not necessarily personal attacks. But when you have someone who have, when you just simply read, you know, a handful of indictments that they've been, uh, you know, I mean, that that's, that should be disqualifying in of, of itself. Oh so God. I think when you consider, and that's not just, that's not party specific, that's anybody, you know, I think, um, yes. you know, when you're currently being considered for uh, over a dozen felonies. There, there should be some pause by the American people as to whether or not you're you're fit for office. But I think when you see all these other people being thrown in the mix at the last minute as third parties and new parties and whatever else, uh, there's no other way to think about it but shenanigans. It does feel that way. And and I think that at least, for like let's say, the Green Party or any of these organizations that want to have any, if they truly are invested in elevating their party or having it, you know, have a, uh, having the ability to go toe-to-toe with the Democrats and the Republicans, then where are they on ranked choice voting? Because I believe that's their, their clearest path to making that possible. That's right. Yeah, I think... Um and that's, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people down in Georgia as that's getting more momentum over there and how this will yield better results for kind of what the communities as a whole truly want. Um, people can vote their conscience with their first one, but then be more quote unquote practical with the second one. And that, it yields kind of the same net result while still making a point. Yes. Um, so I, I'm all in favor of people making sure the, vo- the votes not only make a point, but also yield us in the right general direction. But um there's certainly danger to it, uh, and there's. Um, I would love to hear more of Brennan's thoughts. I know there's been nothing but good data on showing that it reflects more of the community's opinion, whether it be not just locally but across the world. 
Um, but it's just hard not to be scared. I didn't realize that Australia and Ireland both had ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. I was I was surprised to learn that. Mm-hmm. I learned something new all the time. That's why we like talking to our friends from Fair Vote. We are in studio with Todd Belcour. He is the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. And I've made a commitment in my head, not to anybody else, I should write it down, to having a film ready to go for your next festival, at least to oh, be submitted. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it would be uh, in regards to a, fiction, a, a fictional story on uh, the healthcare system hmm. and nursing, because I think that that's... A, I, I don't, I, you know, there's a lot of stories out there about the burnout, yeah. uh, the shortages, uh, the mistreatment of, of people who are really working so hard every day that got yeah. us through the pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, and the uh, story that I've got is there's um, uh, a lot of hospitals, like the nurses have the most incredible blogs on social media, on TikTok and on Twitter. And talking about like basically the retention programs at some hospitals comes down to like pizza parties. You know, yeah. that, that, like somehow that's supposed to make up for all the trauma they've been through. Bring us back to the ice cream social. <laughs> right? <laughs> At one hospital, or maybe a couple hospitals, but a hospital has created something called a serenity lounge. So when they take <laughs> take a break with like, it's like a lava lamp and a massage chair. And like yeah. instead of a bonus or, you know, making work safer, they're like, here, go take a massage for 10 minutes. So. Listen to some running water and a mechanical <laughs> massage. <laughs> Right. And then yell, surrender me now in the background. <laughs> yes. No, that is unfortunate. I yeah. think those are certainly heroes on the front lines. And, um, Having the, the misfortune, having to visit quite a few people in the hospital the last couple of years during COVID and shortly thereafter, it's there, there are a few more uh, populations of people who receive less thanks for their hard work than nurses. And, yeah, I agree. And this, the, I intend this to be sort of a love letter and an eye opener. Uh, so that's my goal. A short, just a little, little tiny short film. We are in studio again with uh, Todd Belcour. We'll take mm-hmm. your calls and text when we come back. Uh, I also, uh, Todd just mentioned uh, uh, losing people and visiting people uh, during the height of the pandemic. And I know Joan was talking about this in the last hour as well. Uh, the th- look, the crisis of COVID is, is, has passed. And, and yeah. federally, they don't even track data as much. You know, there isn't as much information between hospitals. But what we do know is that there is, there is high levels. They are tracking the viral load in water. Mm. And they're seeing 38 states are in the high risk area, including Illinois. Uh, we've had over 17 percent increase in COVID-related cases and hospitalizations. Uh, So the crisis may be over. The threat is real. And while there are less fatalities because we are getting vaccinated, although the city of Chicago with the latest shot, not booster shot, but this year's shot, is only at 12%. Hmm. Fortunately for those who are 65 or over, we're at 50%. So thank you to our our senior citizens who are staying safer. But we need to do it for them, too. So let's get uh, vaccinated and uh, and, and wash our hands. Wear masks where you think it's appropriate. I wear my mask when I I can. And uh, uh, especially in crowded spaces when I'm around people I don't know, um, because I need to keep the people in my life safer, uh, safe as well. So the, yeah. the crisis is over. The threat is real. And while you may not have the extreme uh, symptoms of COVID, long COVID is nothing to mess around with either. No. So I, I just want to make sure people are aware of that. Let's take a break here. We'll come back and continue our conversation with Todd Belcour. Our phone <laughs> lines are open. 773-763-9278. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. And joining me in studio, my co-host for the day, guest co-host is Todd Belcour, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. I believe we fixed all the cameras. I probably messed up your camera, so I apologize to your friends watching on the Patty Vasquez Show page or WCPT page. Uh, we're always live streaming, so thank you to Andy for making everything go s- smoothly and uh, that we've you. got everything in line. Uh, 
I was I have I have several favorites. Uh, somebody texted during Jones show about how we need to start amplifying the fact that there are Democrats who are fighting, who are on the battle and leading the charge, because we often say that. And I, I know I've been guilty of saying that Democrats don't fight back or we don't. You know, we were talking off the air about oh. Kirk Bangstead uh, that, he, you know, he's a flamethrower. He, mm-hmm. he, he can be a little he, he and I, I occasionally also lack impulse control. I'll be honest. I think, Todd, you will agree, <laughs> agree to that. Uh, Kirk, no one. Kirk has, you know, is very is, is very gregarious. Uh, he's very passionate. And uh, and uh, but I, there are there are Democrats who are fighting. And, and amongst my favorite in Congress is uh, this young woman who just dazzles me every single time. All right. So we love the Constitution today. And we also want to talk about foreign money coming in. Have y'all seen the report that was just produced where this chairman decided that he was going to block this committee from receiving additional information about y'all's guy, Trump, and all the money that he took? From what we did receive, we know that Trump got almost six million. I think this is from today, though. Account for. I was trying to find the one from today. I was misled by my by my ad here from China specifically. (laughs) We found almost eight million dollars total that he accepted from foreign governments while he was serving as the president of these United States. But we're concerned about the president's son, the president's son, who has not been involved in his administration. I just want to run it back, though, to the very beginning. Oh, here it is, I think. Because this I want to run it is back. something that I just can't get over. I here can't get over yeah. the gentle yes. lady from South Carolina talking about white privilege. It was a spit in the face, at least of mine as a black woman, for you to talk about what white privilege looks like, especially from that side of the aisle. And let me quote your now ousted speaker and what he had to say about the Republican Party and y'all's lack of diversity. When you look at the Democrats, they actually look like America. When I look at my party, we look like the most restrictive country club in America. So let me tell you something. Y'all don't know what white privilege looks like, but I'm going to show you a little bit of something. You see, you want to talk about a two-tier justice system, and this is the only time that y'all have ever referenced it when this country has a history when it comes to black and brown folk of having two separate sets of rules. And right now what you want to do is have two separate sets of rules because Mr. Moskowitz offered y'all a fair situation. He said he would vote for Hunter to be held in contempt if y'all voted to hold all, even if you remove all of the members of Congress. There's still other people that y'all haven't decided that y'all have excuses for, but y'all don't want to hold them in contempt. But for some reason, it makes sense to hold Hunter Biden in contempt, who has tried to comply. And let me tell you why nobody wants to talk to y'all behind closed doors, because y'all lie. That's the bottom line. You have done it thus far in this investigation. You have done it this far as it relates to this committee. In every single hearing, y'all spin, spin, spin. I don't know how y'all are still standing right now, because you should be quite dizzy from all the spinning that you're constantly doing when it comes to spinning the truth. You talk about free and fair elections, but you back a guy who we know tried to steal the election. And this isn't about what Democrats have to say. Let me remind you, for those of you that don't know how the justice system works, it's not a matter of the president went in and indicted Trump, but we are talking about grand juries. Grand juries are comprised of American citizens and the people that have entered pleas of guilty that will be flipping on your leader in a minute, they are Republicans. I do want to point that out. And half of them were Republicans that were handpicked by Donald Trump himself. So to be clear, whatever happens to your little leader, 
It's wow. going to be because of the actions <laughs> that he took. So you she can talk all you want to about how January 6th was nonsense, but all of y'all were running. At that time, y'all were grabbing yeah, y'all's gas masks and y'all were running to your offices because you didn't know if they were coming to kill you. You should have cared that somebody was there to protect you, but instead you want to play games because you found out that it was your leader that decided that he wanted to propagate an insurrection on our country. So don't tell me that you care about the Constitution because you don't. Because <laughs> yeah. you don't. No, I was, no. Trying, I was trying to find the mic drop, but I know there's more coming. There was crescendoing heat throughout that entire. I, I just want to see all their hair like singed. You know, they don't care. It doesn't like none of it lands on them. They're not. There's no well, shame. I think you'd be surprised. I think. I mean, it's hard not to feel at least a little bit of shame <laughs> when someone's calling out not only the inconsistencies, but there's just the blatant lies and the reason why people don't want to talk with you behind closed doors anymore and all yeah. that. Um, not that the folks who are ardent will feel any differently, but there's enough people who are, you know, suburban moms who are, who may say, wow, this, this is going too far. You know, <laughs> this, you know what? No, 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 no. Take a look at it. The way she was using y'all. I <laughs> Um, Let me take a break here. <laughs> we said I need some water. Uh, we're in studio with. That's okay. Uh, hey, it's me. I make things yeah. lose. Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. I want to. I'll tell our, our callers that are on hold. Thank you for being patient. I wanted to uh, get some of that out there. And okay, now I've settled in. Uh, we got that out of the way, and we're going to continue our conversation with you and with our guest, our co-host in studio, Todd Belcour. He is the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. Follow them on Twitter and go to their website, socialchange.site. S-I-T-E, mm-hmm. and find out about the work they do because you can get involved. You can support them. Uh, you, it really is meaningful. It does have an impact. It makes a difference. More in a moment on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. We are in studio with Todd Belcourt, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. We've been talking about some of the news of the day. What Before we get to some of the calls, what do you, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on trying to keep Trump off the ballot, whether it's Colorado, Maine, now other states are joining the fight. Uh, in Nevada, apparently he didn't even file the paperwork to be in the primary because they also do a caucus and they're choosing to do the caucus. He, I think, in Vivek Ramaswamy. So it's not the same. But what do you think about trying to keep him off the ballot? Well, I think as we consider all the options to make sure this democracy stays as vibrant as possible, I mean, you have to first adhere to the Constitution. And certainly, if it's very clear within the confines of the Constitution based on your given state that people who are ineligible should not be on the ballot. Uh, it's a basic practice of considering that and making sure you're holding that test to the Constitution and see if they, they meet those standards. And I think uh, Justice Roberts is really going to have to thread a needle here because um, I, I do think he has to do something to honor the very clear language of these constitutions uh, while also making sure that, you know, the the person who is responsible for making sure he has an opportunity um, to to have a Supreme Court that has a composition that it has, you know, has at least a chance to Safe face. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to be done. I can imagine there'll be, a, you know, some states where the, the Constitution is even more clear as it relates to matters like this, maybe like Colorado, where they'll permit that. 
um, but other states where it's it's more murky where they, they won't. But it's it's going to be a really significant dogfight that's going to yield a lot of acrimony on all sides of the equation. Yeah, no doubt they are. They definitely using the language of anti-democratic. And, and uh, Andy just sent me an article uh, from the Atlantic uh, disqualifying Trump is not anti-democratic, but ignoring the Constitution to please his supporters would be a complete breakdown of the rule of law, which is yeah. what you're saying. And Paul from Seattle, the host of Kitchen Table Progressives here on Sunday nights at six o'clock. What are, what are your thoughts? Thank you so much for hanging in there, by the way. What's uh, what's on your mind, Paul? Paul. I go into this uh, on Sunday So for a, for a full review of my remarks. Uh, uh, so I'll give you kind of a teasing preview here. But the exactly the court, uh, the restraint of the court is what we need. A, a little bit opposite of what of what we're just saying there is. And this is why. Um, course we all know the, the beginning of the 14th amendment but it says and the new york times kind of misstated this they said um only congress it goes on to say only congress can remove this disability by a two-thirds vote of each house of each chamber no 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 so listen to the two sentences the 14th amendment says only congress can remove this disability or b the 14th amendment says only says that Congress can remove this disability. So in other words, it either says only Congress can remove this disability, or it only says that Congress can remove this disability. And there's a big difference between those two. Yeah. Because it, it, it's B. Congress, it says Congress may remove this disability by a two-thirds vote of each chamber. It doesn't say who else. It doesn't say that anybody else can't. And it doesn't say who can impose this disability. That is the the um, to say that someone engaged in, a, in, in an insurrection. So when the court rules, uh, the first thing they're going to have to say is: Is the state of Colorado within its powers to essentially fulfill its state laws? And the the, the Supreme Court of the state of Colorado said, "Yeah, under Colorado election law, it's a civil trial." And they found that by a preponderance of the evidence, that's like 51 percent of the evidence, that Donald Trump probably engaged in an insurrection. That doesn't require that Donald Trump be convicted of anything. Exactly. It's just, yeah. And by the way, if if Jack, uh, if, <laughs> if Jack had convicted him already, that wouldn't be good enough. Because the conviction in the D.C. jurisdiction, a federal jurisdiction, doesn't necessarily apply to the state. Because what did I say? It, it says that Congress may remove the disability, but that doesn't mean that no one else can. In other words, if Trump were convicted by Jack Smith and this had already happened, it would still have to go to court in the state. Right. And a state could say, no, we're leaving him on the ballot. He can run, he can run for president from jail. Yeah. See, so if that if those are options, and have you noticed this that it says Congress may remove this disability? Why haven't they? Why hasn't the House even tried? It says Congress, so it would have to pass. It says we'll have to pass with a two thirds majority in both houses, and the Republicans in the House haven't even tried. They haven't even had a hearing on it. They're too, they're, trying, they're too busy talking to Hunter Biden. They won't even remove the disability 
on Trump. Right. And therefore, what the court would say, and they rightly should say this, and this gives them cover and exactly. rightly just, just, just adjudicates the issue, which is it's actually not an issue. It's a question. It's, and what they will say is that this is a political question that has, is not right for justiciability, which means, and there are six criteria for a political question, but the most important one is that our, does the Constitution designate powers to other branches of the government, the political branches, which is the Congress and the presidency, and have they tried to exercise those powers? And the answer is no, the Congress has not. They haven't even tried. So the, the last the last ones to come in to try and uh, remove the disability should be the courts, because the state of Colorado has said, we say this, yep, we're, we're putting a, imposing a disability by this civil, hearing, this civil trial, and if Congress wants to remove the disability, they can. The courts shouldn't be stepping in to say we're removing the disability. It becomes right and justiciable when Congress removes the disability by two-thirds vote in both chambers, and then the state of Colorado says, no, our power is still there, and we are, we are not going to let them on the ballot. That's when it becomes both, pow- both powers have exercised, both uh, bodies have exercised their power, and there's an impasse. That's when it's justiciable, and that's what the court should say. Well, I don't even know. Is there a possibility, Todd, that they won't even, they'll find some way to not even address it? That's the way, uh-huh. this is the way to do it. This is the way uh-huh. to not address it by saying, it's up to you all. All y'all need to figure this out yourself. <laughs> well, I, and the reason I think they won't is because um, this is a court that's basically Donald Trump built. So um, true. Yep. recognizing that um, it's easy to count the votes and recognize there aren't enough votes to really overcome these reasonable objections to his el- eligibility for uh, to be on ballots in particular states. So. I think this would play even more loud and more dangerously if it was played out in Congress. I mean, you see how even this, this hearing with Hunter Biden is kind of all over the place. Can you imagine the sort of vitriol and, and right. you know, back and forth that would take place if this was the topic on, uh, of the conversations on, on, on these different testimony and, and, and these floors discussions? So I, I think um, there's an immense pressure, and I understand what you're saying, but I, and I think that jurisprudence could lean that way, but I, I think at the end of the day, the judges are going to have the, the greater pressure to try to do what they can to resolve this in a way that, that does um, split hairs uh, to allow. Well, that would be that, that would be John Roberts has said that we don't take on issues. We consider questions. So what he means by that is that we don't take on political issues. When, when they ruled in the Dobbs decision, supposedly they weren't taking on the issue of abortion. Yeah. They were settling a question of. Of, of federalism, of states' rights. So, you know, if they try to go the political route and say, "Oh, we got to, we got to slice this in a way that makes a lot of people happy," that's just never going to happen. Because if you don't go by the rule of law or rule that that this is a political issue, they're going to be on the hook for it. They're going to keep being on the hook for it because they keep. And this is what is amazing to me. How many things the right wing is taking to court when they used to say that these the court should never have taken all these cases. They should have never taken on Roe versus Wade. They should have never heard this. But the right wing now are the ones who love to go to court. They want the court, the court to, to make political decisions for them because they can win in the free marketplace of ideas. Right. Yeah. Yep. 
True story. Thank you so much, Paula. We're tuning in on Sunday at 6 o'clock. Thank for, you, Pat. Absolutely, for Kitchen Table Progressives. That's Paul from Seattle. Have a great evening, Paul. Thanks, Patty. Take care. Nice yep, I, uh, it is... I, it's just so... I still... I'm fascinated that we're even in this position. And, of course, when you get in arguments with people online about, you know, you'll see a post saying, show me where he was convicted of, uh, uh, you know, uh, of treason, of, of an insurrection. I'm like, show me where he has to be convicted. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. exactly what Paul just said. There's nothing that says it says participate in or engage in. Yeah. And the standard of proof that people are applying to these things, it's um, I mean, when you're already going to come in with with. A, a lean in terms of what you want the outcome to be. Whatever you see factually, you're going to interpret in the most favorable light. So that's why when you think about presumptions, it's it's really important that people understand it's more likely than not. Um, so it, it probably happened. <laughs> that's you know, even if you're looking at the whatever situation um, as however you perceive the insurrection and, and the inciting leading to it in the light most favorable to Trump, it's hard to say that it's, it didn't at least probably happen. Right. You know, so I, I think people need to recognize this is not beyond a reasonable doubt. This is not smoking gun evidence where he wrote a diary saying he can't wait for these things to happen in, in, in this order sequentially based on this prompt or whatever. But it's logical to assume based on the data that you have and the facts that you have um, and the outcomes that you've seen that this is more likely to have happened than not based on what's been said and what's been done. What are your thoughts on the fact that none of the people who did riot at the Capitol and and, uh, caused violence and uh, damage to property, uh, theft of property, what are your thoughts that nobody has actually been charged with insurrection? Because my understanding is that that it's a much harder thing. Like A lot of prosecutors want to go with the cases they know they can win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've seen plenty of cases where prosecutors go with the charge that may align most clearly with what happened, Uh but the risk of being able to, you know, withstand that beyond a reasonable doubt burden of proof is so great that you don't want to actually accidentally let someone off entirely who is clearly committed layers of wrong. Um, So oftentimes you see prosecutors... um, go gung-ho on lesser charges to ensure that something sticks and that people do spend time in prison and do have some culpability uh, for the the range of heinous conduct in this case that they've engaged in. So uh, I can understand the the desire to make sure people are gone after for what we all saw in, on public television, what obviously took place. But at the same time, imagine how much more the, the uproar would be and how much more frustrated people would be if people were charged for insurrections yeah. and you know treasonous conduct and found not guilty. So I, I think they're taking the responsible path given the circumstances, but I can see how it would yield some frustration no matter what. Is it possible? I mean, I guess that part of like a lot of folks have made plea deals. Mm-hmm. Right. And part of that was, you know, you have to plead guilty in order to have in exchange for a, a softer uh, punishment. Right. Mm-hmm. Can they, so with that, but with the people who haven't made the pled those deals who were went through trial and everything, can they also later add insurrection? <laughs> can they also be prosecuted for insurrection while they're in serving time? For Not the other unless crimes? there's some sort of new evidence that comes up that's significant that like wasn't ever available at the time of the initial trial. But otherwise, you can't kind of go back and, oh, and add. And, yeah. Add yeah. charges. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, yeah. can we just find some of these charges? Charge mm-hmm. and convict of an insurrection. So, well, yeah. But you'll see that happen when, say, like DNA evidence comes out relating to a case or something like that. Then they can kind of reopen the case, but that's completely different evidence that, had it been available at the time, may have swayed the outcome of the case. Do you ever think about the fact that they never found the person who planted bombs at the Democratic offices in D.C.? That bothers me tremendously. Yeah. I mean, as much time as we spend... Um, 
investigating and instigating and, and being the protectors of every other country's democracy abroad, we just do really, it's hard not to question why we do such a poor job within our own country. And there's no greater example than what you just mentioned. I mean, that's terrorism in its most clear form. Um, and not only does it not, there's not like a clear, you know, there should be a look under every rock witch hunt going on at all times, but it seems like just complete disinterest. And I think that's um, what I was thinking. There may have been an agreement between the parties to say, hey, let's focus on other things. Um, but I just, I don't see where the high ground is in that. So I, I would love to to be a fly on the wall, whatever those conversations have taken place to see why uh, they've kind of moved on from that and to other issues of importance. Yeah, no one brings it up. Let's take a break here. We'll check in with our friend Jim in a moment, who's uh, calling in from Chicago. We're in the studio with Todd Belcor, the executive director of Social Change. Go to socialchange.site to learn more about the work they do and how you can join in the effort to make life better for people all across the country. Uh, they work with folks in Atlanta and Los Angeles. Uh, everywhere there's, there's a need, uh, Social Change will dispatch folks, volunteers uh, into communities to help them with food, access to social services, uh, legal uh, advice. Advice uh, for those who have been incarcerated and are looking for a path forward. Just one, some of the many things that they do for the communities throughout the country. More in a moment on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thank you so much for hanging out with us as we drive it home. And I'm in studio with Todd Belcor, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. Jim's been on the line for a bit, wanting to join the conversation and uh, share his thoughts on topics. Hey, Jim, how you doing tonight? Hi, Ted. Hi, Patty. Here's uh, one for you. How many uh, uh, how many jelly how many big jelly, be- jelly beans are in a jar? You have to guess. When I'm referring to a Trump's fine tomorrow. How oh, many hundreds yeah. of millions? Is, how high is the fine? Yeah, his, uh, yeah. Case how many hundreds of millions will he be fined? Mm-hmm. And will he be able to operate a lemonade stand on Times Square, uh, the Trump family? You think you'll okay. be able to give him a lemonade stand? The, I hope they. I hope they just they throw everything at him, all the highest fines and revoke. But I mean, like I can hope all I want. I don't know what the judge is going to do, but he certainly wasn't uh, ready to play today when he told you know Trump that look, Trump didn't even take the stand in his own defense because right. he didn't want to be cross examined, right? And he, he, he fine, and you don't if you if you want to speak. Then here are the you know the regulations around that. These are the requirements in order for you to be able to speak. And he refused to fill out that paperwork and sign the documents. Yeah. I don't know if that will have an impact on the judge's decision, but it certainly doesn't help. How's that? It's not a favorable. No, no. All we can do is guess. But what's astounding is how much legal paperwork has this guy gone on with? Since he's been in business, I mean, he has more legal cases than any human being I've ever heard of or read about or anywhere in history. He's absolutely a legal disaster. <laughs> I mean, how you know? How can he go through this with these legal one legal thing after another, after another, after another? And, and the truth of the matter is, he's looking at the spending his last few years on his earth in jail. I mean, I don't. I know he's. That's why he's so desperate to win this election because he figures he could stay there for at least four years, and he might, you know, kick the bucket in the four years. But my point is, is that he. This is as desperate as you can get. 
you know, if he doesn't want to die in jail rather than in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. <laughs> he's got two choices. Yeah, he's got to win the presidency anyway, to not go to jail so he can give him yeah, pardon exactly, himself. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Right. Anyway, you guys have a good night. Thank you. Thank Thanks, Jim. Yeah, I don't, there, again, there's so many stories, right? There's so many, I mean, I don't even want, I haven't even gotten a chance to talk about gunmen taking over a TV studio in Ecuador. I mean, I don't know what's happening around the world. There's so many, I mean, obviously we, we start, we touch a little bit on the Middle East. Uh, we have still the, the, the aggressive war against, uh, Ukraine, uh, from, by Russia. Uh, just so much going on in the world. And then, uh, this idea that somehow Donald Trump, it would be immune, even though, Legislator after legislator, Republican legislator after Republican legislator got up during the impeachment process and said, you can arrest him once he's not the president of the United States. Okay, we've we've charged him. No, 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 no. He should have a total immunity. What are you talking about that he even in court? You know, the judges sounded so absolutely like. So you're saying that as a president of the United States, he could order have his political uh, you know, his political uh, enemies executed, then that would, well, and, and the lawyers like doing the mental gymnastics. I'm like, well, you know, it depends on what they're yeah. carrying. Oh my God. I can't imagine a more difficult position to be in to have to represent um, someone who's so obviously uh, guilty on so many charges. But I think, um, you know, Jim said it best. I mean, when you're trying to juggle all the different things of, you know, not only of, businesses and but also misconduct while in office and misconduct after office uh you know where does that fall in terms of the the length of sentence and the, the amount of money that he's going to be levied in, in term fine, the form of fines i mean you have to think it's going to be in the form of billions at this point you have oh, to God, think it's in right? the form of, of decades in terms of years so um this he should be desperate this should be his last stand so to speak to make sure he do, can do everything he can to have one pathway to get past all this, and that's through the presidency. Yeah, it's. Uh, he, it, I still can't believe people who are just all in. I mean, there are these guys called the good liars, uh, and you can follow them on social media, and they they go they follow a lot of the rallies, and they'll talk to just full throated. You know, it, it was last summer. I think it was last summer was when I started hearing these rumblings. It's all mush, right? Mm-hmm. When the timeline of when things happen, but they were interviewing a woman. Uh, about she was saying that it was before DeSantis said it that slavery, you know, there were slave slavery was good for black people, mm. and I just. And that, and then we started having this slow trickle. Now, you know, DeSantis said, uh, you know, some people learn skills and it made their lives better. And to the point where we now are asking a presidential candidate, what was the cause of the Civil War? And she was like, it, well, I know you want me to say it's about slavery, but it was yeah. it was about slavery. I'm like, well, what what how I, I don't even. I don't understand how we got to this point of having arguments about whether or not slavery was horrific. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the lack of education. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, this is so clearly uh, chronicled in history as to the cause, the effect, and, and what happened before, during, and after, even given how jaded a lot of our history is. I mean, to, to claim you don't know or claim there's another reason that could justify enslaving um hundreds of thousands of people and slaughtering hundreds of thousands of people and and putting entire uh, ethnicities and, and, and cultures and, and permanent second-class status and, you know, a fraction of a person and all this stuff. And to, to qualify all that is just, you know, economic opportunity for, for the people who are enslaved and insubordinated. It's just, that just shows how far we are from what's actually the reality in this country. And it's why we're oftentimes laughed at more than encouraged and supported by some of our allies abroad. 
somebody made that point yesterday. I was listening to Joan's show. They were talking about how our role in the world is not what we all imagine it from the inside. It's not where it was yeah. 10 years ago. And that was by design under the former administration. Mm was to weaken our, our position and, uh, and delegitimize. De- I mean, when you were standing with Putin and the leader of North Korea and saying, that, you know, you, you want to emulate them, like, I w- you know, I wish that my people regarded me. What? Yeah. What are we, what are we talking about anymore? Like, I, I just don't understand how we've gotten here. And you make a point about uh, education or withholding education. Fun- or really teaching logic how to, uh, you know, just because you see yeah, something or someone, yeah, huh? critical thing. Just because someone <laughs> says something, somebody that you like, even me, I tell people this all the time. If you hear me, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I, I, I'm not the final say on freaking anything except uh, for my own life. Yeah. And even then, there's some gray area that people want to argue <laughs> yeah, <right>. with. <laughs> you know I mean? So, yeah. like, do your research and come. Don't just not just because someone says it. I remember one time a friend of mine, we were in an argument about the about capital punishment, hmm. and uh, and they shared they started sharing articles by John Cass. Okay, well, that's just me and John Cass arguing with each other. Neither neither one of us have some sort of uh, you know position to be the expert on. F- like I said, anything. Yeah, just, I'm just saying. I don't. No, too many people have their opinions based on um, headlines without actually understanding the nature of the issues in a real way. Yeah, we are going to bring in uh, our our friend uh, Brendan Hennigan. Who <laughs> I feel bad that we were like talking about a young man coming in, uh, aka <laughs> young I, man. But I think Brendan, Brendan, uh, both in his work and his book and the conversations we've had, uh, one generates a lot of conversation with our listeners too. So I'm looking For sure. forward to uh, checking in with him and, and, and introducing you to. Uh, so we'll come back. We are in studio with guest host, guest co-host Todd Belcour, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. Go to socialchange.site, that's S-I-T-E, and follow them on social media. More in a moment. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks, says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses, says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. So excited as we turn uh, turn our attention to the second hour of the show and welcome our friends listening in Minneapolis, St. Paul on KTNF 950 AM. Joining me in studio is our guest co-host today, Todd Belcor, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. They do tremendous work all over the country helping people in communities that have been marginalized and have been ignored for years and making sure that they know their rights, uh, have access to voting, have access to the fundamental needs in their lives, housing, uh, food. Uh, we worked so hard during the pandemic, and I'm so proud to be a f- your friend and to uh, do everything I can for social change. So thank you, Todd. Thank you, Penny. I appreciate thank, it. Thank Very you. Kind of you. And it's my thrill to introduce you because I know the awesome folks in the audience. And I'm going to ask you to bring that microphone a little bit closer to you or come on closer. Brendan Hennigan, whose new book, The Hard Road, is now available on Amazon. Congratulations, mm-hmm. my friend. Thank you very much. You're uh, it's on Amazon right now, and soon enough it'll be on all sorts of platforms. Yes. And after that, bookstores all over the world. In fact, uh, one of my contemporaries who was signed with Outcast Press, he was in Colombia like a year or two ago. Uh-huh. He was at a random bookstore there, saw a copy of his book. Oh, isn't that, are you looking That's forward amazing. to that moment? Yeah, or yeah. Uh, I saw one, uh, one clip of... Uh, I follow Yusuf Salam on Instagram, and he, we've actually had a little bit of a back and forth because I saw him speak at LSU uh-huh. in 2020, like a month or so before lockdowns. And uh, he like had this uh, reel on his Instagram, and it was his kids running up in, in the bookstore saying, hey, daddy, it's your book. And I'm like, 
okay. <laughs> someday, yep. th- if that ever happens, that's when I'll know I made it. <laughs> well, it's, it's not gonna, it, it might be your kids, but right now I know it's your dad, your parents oh my God. running up to the windows. Uh, your dad uh, already texted me. You're now right, right now number one on uh, Amazon. In modern, uh, yeah, number one bestseller in uh, modern mo- uh, modern philosophy. Yeah. Like, it's incredible. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank That's you. a big idea. Absolutely. I just woke up this morning and I'm like, you know, I'm going to have a look at this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have a look at this link. I click on it and I'm like, Whoa, all right. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. That's an amazing what your book feeling. is about, so people can yeah. understand why so many people are excited to hear about what you have to write. Three childhood friends, like guys who they've been together their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all, well, two of the friends go to Iowa, and then the, the main character, Pat Morrison, uh, based on yours truly, uh, <laughs> he has just graduated from Louisiana State University. And all three of them, though, the other two are a semester away from graduating. They're graduating in the fall. And all three of them are facing that existential conundrum. What am I going to do when I graduate? And I do not, they don't want to follow into some cycle. They won't want to rush into work and, and all this other stuff. They want to really have a chance to discover themselves. Because I, re- like, I personally believe that most people... Or have something that they're really, really good at. But the problem is most people just don't recognize it when it spits on their shoes. So that's th- these three characters, they don't buy in to the narrative that the lockdowns and everything is for the public good. I mean, Nietzsche says it himself. Common good is a contradictory phrase. Uh, and that's kind of what they believe. So they leave Chicago. It starts in the Rocky Mountains and. Mm. uh they're driving through the Rockies. They go to Grand Junction, uh, Navajo Nation, Vegas, L.A., Flagstaff, and part one's the west. It's divided in two parts. Same road trip, but two parts. Mm-hmm. And part two is the south, and it starts when they cross from Texas into Louisiana. Okay. So it's a big two-day haul from uh, Flagstaff to Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And they discuss the uh, problems that, that confront Gen Z. And not not even I mean these things aren't really unique to Generation Z either. I mean people of all ages and backgrounds are facing the affordability crisis, mm-hmm. and uh, you know struggling to put food on the table, and very frustrated with the stagnant status quo that really seems to care only about sticking it to the other party than actually serving their constituents. I think that the way we we are experiencing it, right, is uh, is sort of like if we took a step back, I often make the comparison of when I was uh, I started working because the minimum wage when I was 16 years old was three dollars and thirty five cents. And that was where, you know, whether I was working at, uh, you know, Brown's Chicken. I mean, I had before I was 21 years old, I had 40 different part time jobs. I did everything I possibly could. But the one job that paid me the best and the one that I loved the most was lifeguarding. And at the time in 1989, they were paying so minimum wage was 335 and they were paying seven dollars and 65 cents which is nearly double the minimum wage right it was i mean i felt amazing (laughs) that's what i was (laughs) those exact words went through my head (laughs) you know and and so like so just as as my example because now they they can't hold on the lifeguards uh whether because partly because of controversy sexual harassment and uh and hazing and all these different things uh they're they're offering like incentives to for people to come and and uh but they're not paying that much more than minimum wage. Right. They're paying seventeen, fifteen dollars in the city of Chicago is 
dollars minimum wage, and they're only I think they're paying maybe seventeen. Well, incentives and and I my, I have my friends are the ones that are doing this. So my friends in the park district, I love you very much, and you know we've had conversations and I have ideas. But to your point, you know a teenager. It, this is what we talk about all the time: is you know you have choices, and lifeguarding is not easy work at the beaches. So why would you go and have to carry boats and run a mile in, in the sand and sit in the sun and possibly put your life at risk yeah. for pretty much the same amount of money if you had a really good discount at a, I don't know, I don't even know what the cool clothing stores are anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> like the gap isn't going to cut Zara, it right now. whatever. It, is, it doesn't even matter. Your it point's matter. been made. Yeah, but, I, but why? So, but so from my perspective as Gen X, I guess, it would be that, you know, we, we had a better shot than you do, and we, I think most of us know that. Yeah. Right. We we earned. We were able to earn more and put it away. College wasn't as crazy expensive. I mean, it's daunting to. For, we are raising kids uh, who are you know trying to go through that process, and and it's shocking to us. We feel like, well, you know, it's worth the debt to make sure our kid has everything that they want, um, because we don't. We many of us know it's not fair. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's there are so many different dynamics that tie into this. Part of it's because college degree. Is, it's the, the the it's not worth what it once was because so many people are going to school. Obviously, everyone should have the right and the chance to pursue sure. higher education. But back, you know, 40, 50 years ago, when my grandparents were, you know, in their prime, half the population was union labor. Yes. Half the population. So if if that's no longer really feasible for anyone Everyone's going to start going to college, and what happens when that when that bubble bursts? You're going to have millions of unemployed college graduates. I think we've and we have. I mean, yeah. and, and, we're already there. Yeah, we, yeah, we're there. We're there. Millions of dollars in debt. Exactly. That's. I mean, I, I knew like an art history, and that was the thing too. Is that you know we were encouraged. I went to Lane Tech, and uh, Lane Tech was initially designed to be uh, a bigger campus. It was supposed to be a grade school, the high school that exists now, and then a college on the other side of the stadium. Mm. Uh, and the idea was to, you know, foster a labor force that could do all the building. At, you know, we had foundry, we had you know wood shop, drafting, all those different things. And and then there was this idea, and I actually wrote a paper about how well we shouldn't, you know, shove people into the trades. Now I'm like, everybody, <laughs> yep. let's make trades. My bad. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> I'm writing well, a follow-up paper called My Bad. <laughs> Let's get well, people back in these trades. There's a reason I, I didn't go into education policy, and I think that's better for everyone. But, but at I the time, in, you were right, though. I mean, I mean, people really felt like they were being pushed into their trades without really having agency or what they wanted yes. to do for their lives. You know, whether it be pushed into the armed services or pushed into the trades, whatever. I mean, that was certainly a real conundrum. So you're right to speak to it. But now it's become almost like a private club in terms right. of being in the trades. And you have to know so many people, and it's such a political process that people who have the gifts and have the desire aren't able to access it no matter what almost. And that that's also a problem that needs, you know, greater spotlight to it. So, Do you think, uh, you know, do you have a sense of where we are with the labor movement? Because this has been an incredible uh, year. Okay, uh, actually, you you asked me about, like a minute ago, you asked me about news stories and yes. stuff. Uh, uh, I mean, really good news out of Norfolk. Virginia was this a Mercedes deal with, with the uh, the uh, uh, Costco? Uh, oh, they unionized. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, there was a Costco in North uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and they uh, they, they unionized. And of course, uh, there was a whole thing like you know we, we are so we feel so terrible that our employees had to unionize. To, we must not be taking care of them. Well, I, the, the this has been a long time coming, and ever since 2022. Uh, I mean, well, a little bit before then, but 
I remember yeah. in 2022 there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, like a big resurgence of uh, unionization, and that ball seems to be rolling and gaining momentum. I and, agree, and it need it needs to keep up. And the funny thing is, if if we return to the unionization rates that we once had, that would almost make the argument for free college obsolete. Right. 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 I, it, it would solve a lot of our problems, and conservatives would like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a there's a whole lot of angles that this can benefit our society. I, I agree completely. I, I have to take a break here. Uh, Andy just reminded me of something. I, I had put out a, a press request to a congressman, uh, Congressman uh, Garcia, uh, and I realized now at the beginning of the show, someone called me. I didn't recognize the number. I'm like, oh, my God, was that his office saying uh-huh. that they could do it? So let me take a break here. I don't think that they are because it would be last minute right now. Uh, but I do want to continue talking about uh, the labor movement because it was Mer- uh, Mercedes uh, factory is also, I believe, unionized. There's actually a, one bank, I think, down in the south is also – I mean, this is a – a movement that is so necessary, and I'm proud to be a part of it. I was a strike captain for SAG-AFTRA, and there in Vegas, like my, a lot of our union members, uh, our boards and our leaders are in Vegas because there's a convention uh, on tech, hmm. and we are uh, this whole AI thing is going to be disastrous for yeah. for labor in general. So let's continue our conversation. We're in studio with Brandon Hennigan, whose new book, the his first book, is now available on Amazon. It's already on a bestseller. Best-selling in, book. Yeah, that's amazing, and uh, we're very proud of him, Brandon. Hennigan again, the author of The Hard Road. Follow him on Twitter as well, so you can stay up to date on uh, on you know where he'll be. I'm sure there'll be readings coming up at bookstores and libraries and oh, the such. Absolutely. Very exciting. Maybe one of these days I'll uh, read a paragraph or two in here. Sure, of course. <laughs> we can get to that. And we also have in studio with us Todd Belcor, the executive director and co-founder of so- Social Change. Make sure you're watching our show. We, I think we got all our cameras lined up correctly. We'll find yeah. out in a minute. We'll go, go to Facebook and you can find us on the Patty Vasquez Show page. More in a moment on WCPT820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Hey, this is Patty Vasquez. I'm a busy mom and I do everything I can to keep my family safe. But no matter how careful I am, accidents happen. Like that driver who rear-ended me at Milwaukee and Foster. Once I made sure everyone was okay and it was safe for me to get out of my vehicle, I got the other driver's info and I called my car guy, Warren Price, at European and U.S. Collision Repair Center. He helped me navigate the insurance claims, and his expert technicians made my car look brand new. Warren has been serving the community with European U.S. Collision Repair Center, a division of Technocraft, at 4080 North Broadway for 40 years, and he's been my car guy for over a decade. I trust him with my family's safety. So check him out at EuropeanUS.com or call 773-248-1200. That's 773 773- Two four eight twelve hundred, so we can all keep driving it home safely together. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT eight twenty. Thank you for hanging out with us. We are in studio with the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. He's our guest co-host today. And in studio, we have guest, the author of the book, The Hard Road, now available on Amazon and the bestseller in philosoph- philosophy. Modern philosophy. Modern philosophy. Yeah, modern philosophy. Modern number philosophy. one. Number one. I, uh, that's Brendan Hennigan. So you can go to Amazon and buy the book now, and it's soon going to be available at every 
every location, everywhere, anywhere, every, anywhere uh, and yep, everywhere. Yep. I actually, I love Barnes uh, and Noble thrift books, like the whole thing. Columbian bookstores before you know it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's right. yeah. <laughs> I, so my degree was in was in history, and you know, I, I was talking to a, a, an economics expert yesterday, and we were I hated economics. I took a semester of it, hated it. Uh, <laughs> I, I liked psychology because uh, crazy is familiar to me, but uh, um, but I would say philosophy was another one of my favorite classes, and it was really eye opening. I, I really didn't even understand like even you know zeros and ones and and how that the basis of computers and Turing and all that. But if then was one of my favorite things. I mean, it, it really is. And it was the first place I was eighteen, and we, even the way we use language was where I first started understanding that you know because the opposite of pro life would be pro death, right? Mm-hmm. And that how masterful conservatives were in staking out that territory of language. Cicero, art of rhetoric. Art there you go. Yeah. Come on a little bit closer to the microphone so we don't lose you. Or pull, you can always pull that microphone closer to you if you're more comfortable. Is it, does it move? It yeah, does. that arm here, I'll show you. The arm swings right out. We got these. Oh, there, there oh okay, go. all right. Yeah, we'll make, yeah. We'll make it easy for you. I can hear you, myself my better, too. There you go. Um, so, yeah, well, that, that, and that brings up a really good point, too, just in general when it comes to, you know, um, the, the, having the seeking out the territory of language, and which is also crucial in the legal profession. I mean, that's all about. We had Paul on in the first hour. You know, the, the way in which you interpret the law and oh, how yeah. you answer the question. Uh, philosophy is, is amazing for you know having those conversations as well. Um, but yeah, I think that being able. I just feel like conservatives have done have played the long game when it comes to language, right? Brent, Brennan's nodding yes. No, no I, I, I agree. I'm just I'm thinking about yeah. it. Well, just even the idea that they are the patriots, that they are the ones that fight for freedoms. And, and for people like me, I see the opposite. Yeah. I see people who want to restrict women's autonomy, want to restrict our access to language, to the books, to education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see, you know, when you say you're going to ban something, that seems like the opposite of freedom. That's just that. No, it is. It certainly is. But. Really, both sides want to take away your freedoms in different ways, uh, and they just use double talk <laughs> to alienate the other, demonize the other. Uh, I mean, on one side, uh, you know, on to the to the right, yeah, we believe in freedom, limited government, as long as you, uh, you know, but yeah, don't. Uh, what's the? How, I'm trying to word this correctly, uh, except for. Expressing yourself, who you well, love, how you yeah, live. Who you lo- yeah, that's exactly like who you love. Don't smoke a plant. Things like that. Right. And and then on on the left, we we see, you know, you know, banning AR-15s and things like that. Whereas that's a little contradictory because the left has always had a very very long history in support of arms, uh, and we've kind of uh, that's kind of been lost. But uh, the, the point point stands both sides want some freedom in other areas restricted in others uh, i definitely think the right is uh the larger problem but really not by that much certainly not as much as ma- the mainstream left believes because like i said before it's not really right versus left that truly matters it's author it's authoritarian versus freedom and I, I think I really do feel like I'm onto something with the book and and just how my worldview is molded. I really do believe that I have a way with words and trying to express what I believe to be the truth that resonates with lots of different people of every background. Right, and I think and I think we had mentioned uh, firearms before, and I because. 
you know, I work, I've worked, uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, on the board for one aim to end gun violence. And I would say that, you know, I, I'm not interested in taking away all the guns. Mm-hmm. I am interested in the fact that we have over 440 million guns in this country and the, it's the easy access to it. We, we often, obviously, we will talk about when people are slaughtered in their synagogues and in their churches and in their, uh, in their classrooms, yeah. uh, grocery stores, Walmarts. Uh, and, and it's the, the ability to do, the, to do it so quickly and so violently and so devastatingly so the, to the point where you can't identify your own child except by the color of the shoes she was wearing. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's where we want to be able to have regulations on. And, and, I, and I think that's and I, and that goes back to the, the, the war of language is that when we say we want to restrict guns, right, that that makes us sound like we want to take away someone's freedom, mm-hmm. whereas I would rather regulate. Right. I mean, the same way. And we all have the freedom of speech. But if you put somebody in danger, it's not without it's not without limitations. And that's how I feel about the Second Amendment. And there are issues with the way it was written in the first place. But. Yeah, there is uh, like that's a, that's something that's always kind of irked me, like because people generally look at Gen Z as like, oh, they're going to end gun violence. And they're, you know, that that we're like the gun control generation. And I've lived in many states, you know, California, Louisiana, Arizona here. And I have no reason to believe that that's true at all. In fact, when I was working on a campaign up here, uh, some in almost all my coworkers were my age or younger, and most of them were saying, "Yeah, that's something I'm not really going to campaign on." Like with the literature, it's like, "Oh, ban," you know, you know, the the talking points, women's, you know, supporting the right, right to choose, especially in the aftermath of uh, uh, Roe v. Wade getting overturned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was big in the workers' rights amendment. But there was a gun control talking point, and half of us were like, "We're we're not going to do that." Right. Uh, and one guy who's probably three years younger than me said, "He's like, honestly, we're in Park Ridge, so this probably would be the place to campaign on gun control." But like, they're like, "Okay, Democrats campaign on gun control in Naperville and the gated communities and stuff. Don't do that in the hood or in a rural area where people need to protect themselves." Uh, and I think that's been the case for a long time too, where you have the, uh, you know, the um, what do they call it, the liberal elite in areas that you're kind of mentioning, and that's why I think that the, the people in Highland Park were so, uh, surpri- you know, it was it, they never thought it would come to them, yeah. uh, and such a uh, just shocking and violent. One of my friends was the MC for the parade in Highland Park. Did you ever meet Jessica Antis? That was the uh, district I was working in. Oh, was it really? Uh, the yeah. state center I was working for. Oh, who were you working for? Uh, Julie Morrison. Oh, she's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, shout out Julie Morrison, Love Senator Julie Morrison. Morrison. Yes. Uh, I really enjoyed working with her campaign. Yeah, she's fantastic. And and I and I, and I, and I see your point. Uh, and also you use the word that I think that, again, makes uh, it does seem like we're trying to control people, gun control. And, and it, it is, it, but I, it's so hard when it's like we're not we it can't be the thing that we go oh, well we can't we can't talk about it do you know what i mean oh 100 percent. because that's how we were about abortion for a long time people were like well just don't talk about it you know and then here we are yeah i in a lot of ways like i mean obviously the supreme court was bogus for that but at the same time i mean democrats should blame themselves for it too i can't argue opera, with you on that. i mean i mean the we democratic had the party had the chance yeah. to codify roe v wade yep. and it didn't happen yep i agree with that i can't i can't argue with it what, You've been kicking the can down the road in terms of appointing the justice. I mean, yeah. that, that was huge. Oh, my. Yeah. I, I still, you and I were, I think we had conversations when, yeah, with the Merrick Garland selection. And uh, first of all, I just thought, I thought it was such a namby-pamby choice anyway. Yeah. He was a compromise candidate. Yeah. Begin with. Because he thought that, he thought that they would, they would play in the sandbox. And instead they, they, 
they took a piss in it. I gotta take a break. <laughs> so crap. We, we, I don't know which one it is. Whatever it is, they did it in the sandbox, and and now we don't have uh, autonomy for women. Uh, we are in studio. <laughs> what, was there anything he could have done? That, could have President Obama have? I mean, it, it just didn't seem. Maybe there were obviously negotiations going on behind closed doors. Yeah, I think he got too cute with it and just believed what too many other people believed and thought that it was impossible that Trump would succeed him. Yeah. <laughs> So many conversations have seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. We would love to hear from you. That's our number to call or text. Again, the number is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. We'll continue our conversation when we come back with author T- Brendan Hennigan. You can go to Amazon to find his book, The Hard Road. It is the number one bestselling book in modern philosophy. We also have in studio with us Todd Belcor, the executive director of Social Change. He's also the co-founder. At go to their Facebook page or their Twitter, their Instagram social. Change to their website is socialchange.site. S I T E. More in a moment with my guests when we come back. You want facts to matter? Want to hear some truth? Get your lazy ass down to the voting booth and vote. God damn it. Vote. God damn it. Want some justice on the Supreme Court? Lifetime appointments, they ain't short. Want women to control their own body? President, not John Gotti. Yeah. Want a clear separation of church and state? It don't come free. There's marches of pay. Steve Goody with uh, Vote, gosh darn it. Uh, you can find all of his music at stevegoody.com. That's G-O-O-D-I-E. And don't forget that we have a, uh, a weekly show. Every Monday night we do a virtual comedy show at virtualcomedyshow.com. Uh, we might have to ask folks to uh, watch it uh, on Facebook because when we let them into the Zoom room, they were misbehaving this week. Is that right? Oh, we got to view some stuff that we had not seen before. Oh, my. <laughs> yes. Video off, friends. Video yeah, off. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> Well, since we've had some folks jump in like that, we are in studio with author Brendan Hennigan, who has the number one selling book in on Amazon for modern philosophy. The book is The Hard Road, and I'm excited to read it, and, and we'll have him back to uh, to do some readings for us as well. And in studio, we ha- also have guest co-host Todd Belcourt, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. You can go to socialchange.site, S-I-T-E, to learn more about the wonderful work that they do helping people across the country um, know their rights and have access to the fundamental needs uh, to live dig- with dignity and uh, and with respect. So, yeah, all those things. Dynamo Dave is calling from Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, hey, Dynamo Dave, Thank how you, you doing? my call. Of course. Hey, thanks. How you doing, Prosecta Patty? <laughs> I'm doing very well, Dynamo Dave. I love Thank that name. You. Hey, uh, with every right, you know, there's a responsibility. And um, there's a website out there, an organization um, called... Uh, uh, dot org, And a question for your guest is uh, uh, vehicle deaths versus gun deaths per year in the U.S. Which one's more? Oh, vehicles or gun deaths? Um, I think he's talking yeah, about vehicle vehicle deaths deaths. Yeah, I'm deaths. inclined to say vehicle deaths. Well, that uh, surpassed uh, gun deaths have surpassed vehicle deaths. That started in 2017. Wow! And part of that was is regulations uh, well, no, we, because when we, we regulate cars, we insure cars. You can't. Nobody buying a gun has to get insurance for a gun. 
But however, with that statistic, you have to keep in mind that of what percentage of those are homicides. Because when you when you break, suicides. Uh, two thirds are suicides. Yeah, how many yes. are vehicle death suicides? Well, that and, helps a rifle to a suicide. Right. You break it all all the way down, but with gun gun rights, you got to have you know. Second Amendment says well regulated militia. Well, we got that with the National Guard in each state. And that was what about well, the other clause? The other clause that says the right of the people to, to keep the right their of arms. people is to have an got a militia. Yeah, well, like I said, there should be, you know, a responsibility there. Why don't they have to carry insurance? Why don't they have to have a gun license? I have no problem with regulations. Uh, it's the bans that I don't like. However, George Mason, one of the founders in 1789, I believe, he said, and I ask you, sir, who is the militia? It is but the whole people, except for a few public servants. <laughs> really? I did not yeah, know no, that. No, I'm not even kidding. I believe it. I believe it, and it sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> uh, and, and to your point, uh, Dynamo Dave, about uh, suicides, and that's, and that, that's you know, when I think about how many guns we have, it's, it's the access to guns that doesn't, you know, that people don't have perhaps that distance, that moment to take a breath and to uh, make a different decision uh, because they so readily can put their hands on, on, a, on a weapon and take their own lives. Yes. Yep. Yes. Anyway, well, thanks for taking my call. I realize it's a controversial. Yeah, of course. And by yeah, the way, that's why we're here. Daughter, as far as uh, rights go, we should change at the federal level. It shouldn't be called Democratic Party or Republican Party. It should be called a uh, you know Republican Corporation, Democratic Corporation, because it was proven in that that lawsuit that Bernie Sanders had during the Clinton campaign. They said we're a corporation. We don't have to abide by whatever. Bernie wants or whatever. It's not a fair setup. So, therefore, we should no longer, we should just set the record straight at the federal level. It's just corporations. Amen. Stop calling a party. You know, call the party. <laughs> only time there's a party is when their candidate wins, you know? Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Dynamo Dave. And I appreciate your death. Absolutely. I appreciate, we appreciate you, Dynamo Dave. Have a great evening. Salute you, sir. Take care. How do you get a cool name like Dynamo Dave? I think it's uh, sometimes self-appointed. So I've, I've been called Perky Patty. Uh, he calls me Perceptive Patty. Uh, remember when we were at uh, the other station, there was a caller we would get in the evenings uh, who liked to tangle with me, yeah. and uh, he would call me uh, he would call me kiddo, which is fine, except that it's like it's I know it's not. So I call him pumpkin. That's what I call him every time I call. I call him pumpkin. I mean it's it is disrespectful yeah. and diminishing. Basically, like hey, you know you don't know much because you're a kid. I mean like I know I have that tone yeah. sometimes with you, but I try not to. I try to be aware that oh, no, I deal with it all the time. Like yeah. if I'm making like a delivery or something, and uh, it's like. Oh, appreciate you, buddy. I'm like, I'm like oh, yeah. 12. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, people who just yeah. see me at, like, think I'm like 17. I'm like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 26. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have that for a while. I uh, yeah. I looked I looked young for a, a very long time and uh, and, and appreciate it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I moisturize. Uh, I also, I want to go back to something we were talking about before Brandon came in. Uh, Brandon came in, which is, uh, and I think we talked about it off the air, which is uh, wanting to withhold the truth from our education system in Florida, uh, they don't. You know, they don't. Want, you can't say gay. Uh, they don't want to teach the truth about uh, our our history. This whole uh, CRT and DEI, which are all the, the things that people fling around. Uh, I was talking about slavery and and how people 
I just I can't believe we're at the point now where we're even arguing that it was horrific, that no. it was a, a catastrophic blight on our on our on our history on on humankind. Uh, and to your point, that they weren't even black people were not considered human. Yeah. And it wasn't you know yes slavery has existed for for centuries for thousands and thousands of years. And, and my understanding has been it's usually the conquering who say I've conquered you you now work for me. In our system, we say we we are going to buy and sell you and when we do that every child you ever have is also going to be ours yeah and we're mm-hmm. and we're going to buy and sell them and trade them and i i am forever grateful that uh, abraham lincoln uh you know in his in his travels in his work uh became disgusted with the sight of of people being sold on blocks whether it was his trips down to to i believe to louisiana i know he went down the mississippi river and then when he served in congress and saw people in dc and i i contend that had he not lived in illinois i don't know that the civil war would have ended the way it, it would have i think we would have been in, in a situation for a much longer time yeah because if he, because you know, Governor Cole made Illinois a, a non-slave state. He held the line before it spread this way. Yeah. I only know that because my son had a paper when he was. <laughs> there's a beautiful mural. Paper. There's a beautiful mural in uh, in our state capital in Illinois in Springfield uh, depicting. So Governor Cole worked for. I want to say it was Madison. He was his secretary, and when he, when. Um, when he, his, when, I think when he, his father died, Governor Coles fa- left him like seventeen slaves, mm-hmm. and he decided to bring them, uh, to bring them west and freed them on the Ohio River. So there's a, a mural of that in the uh, state capital, a big oh. painting. It's beautiful. I know. I didn't know that either. See. <laughs> I need to get a hold of this paper. Yeah. No, I, I, I've, I have a history degree. I went to the, I went to the presidential library to ask them if anyone's ever done any work on, you know, the impact of living in Illinois had, and Governor Cole's choice mm. to run on that um, might have had an impact on Lincoln. Is that uh, who uh, they named uh, Cole's County after? Yes, uh, where Eastern Illinois is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was only the, I believe, the second governor of Illinois. Hmm. So. But yeah, we very were, early, very early. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, again, uh, we were supposed to, you know, we were uh, poised because I believe Douglas was was willing to, you know, let slavery spread. Let's uh, take another phone call. Dave from Hoffman Estates. We haven't even talked about this. Uh, there, we. It seems like it's uh, buried in the news. The uh, budget deal in uh, the House. What's on your mind, Dave and Hoff, Hoffman Estates? Yeah, I was just going to say that it's uh, kind of a deja vu. <laughs> with this uh, Speaker Johnson, he did the same thing, you know, that yeah. predecessor did, and the, these hardliners, um, you know, kind of spit in his face now too. And are they? Are they? I, I haven't followed it enough to find out. Are the Republicans getting very angry at him for making a deal behind doors with Democrats? Well, just to, just that uh, handful of those hardliners, you know, that they that they won't, won't sign it, you know, that, that so they just decided that they're gonna, you know. <laughs> They stalled it for the day or whatever, you know. So he's just they're around. Right. PO'd at the uh, Johnson, and he's doing, like I say, the same thing that uh, his predecessor did. Right, right. I, I, I'd be curious to see if they will if there will be more shenanigans. But they seem pretty comfortable having Speaker Johnson at the helm. Uh, you know, making 
photo ops down at the border while a family's trying to climb out of the water. You know what? You know what? Because uh, he said that his worldview, if you pick up a Bible, that's my worldview. I'm sure that in the Bible it said, by all means, if you see a family trying to get their, you know, to safety, have a press conference 100 feet away yeah. and ignore them completely. That's exactly the teachings of Christ. It's definitely encouraging. Well, I you thought maybe, maybe he thought he was John the Baptist or something. You know, he'd go and <laughs> baptize a few. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. on that. Uh, yeah, really. That we got a week only left. A little over a week left. For yeah, till, on, I think it's the 16th is the possible government oh. shutdown. Uh, 19th. Yeah. The 19th. All right. I've well, lost yep. track of how many government shutdowns have happened in my life. Yeah. 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 We anyway, just thought not coming. Yep. Thanks, yeah, Dave. Nobody hadn't thought much about that, so it's kind of important to, to some people. So. Well, anyway, no, no, to, some, night, no to those to, to the people that are you know should be doing their job, they'd rather be holding a um, Hunter Biden in contempt for something that also Jim Jordan and a bunch of other people didn't do. But I want to go back for a moment. Uh, we were talking about how all of a sudden it's slavery was you know some people learned a skill and it's oh my lord <laughs> oh you haven't seen any of this no right? I, no I've, I, I've heard I've heard oh, that yeah. before but I feel like I subconsciously chose to forget about sure. it until you just yeah. well, but but to that like in a, in 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 a similar vein there are people who not not either they deny that the holocaust ever happened or that it was necessary i mean like we have people who are, i i just can't believe that i'm seeing people say hitler didn't go far enough in germany oh good i mean what what I, I really it, that's where we are with people and and I was telling you guys off the air I feel like people make these arguments because they want to be able to do it again. If you guess you say something shocking often enough, people get desensitized to it, and then right. it makes it palatable enough to actually take place. I um, was yeah, but I mean the prevalence of war crimes in the Middle East taking place right now, and the way in which people are refusing to take nuanced views on what's what's actually taking place and it's i mean it's both both sides of anything can have wrongdoings taking place right like, you know calling out police brutality does not mean i'm anti-police calling out activists and you know in the black lives matter community does not mean i'm anti-black lives matter it's like people refuse to allow any sort of complexity of conversation it's it's got to be a kind of a litmus test or are you all the way in no matter what or not and i think that yields not only a lot of kind of disingenuous presentation of what people's platforms are, but also creates a society where people are from outside who are looking for, you know, what what side of the fence they should be on just have nowhere to go. Right. Uh, and, and just the confusion and the frustration builds to a boiling point where, you know, people are saying, you know, where where do I turn? Who is my representative? Who who can I vibe with? Who can actually represent the truth of what's going on in the world versus just talking points and you know, throwing bombs one way or the other, literally and figuratively. You hit the hill. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I remember summer 2020. I was uh, I was I was at a house party for the July weekend, and of course we were talking about everything that was going on over the summer. The, you know, the the racial strife, the chaos, the police brutality, and everything. And I personally marched that summer and. Uh, obviously, Northwest Side. It's Wasn't that amazing? Did you uh, all the way down Milwaukee Avenue, down Devon? Did, were you? Oh, I was, was in Humboldt Park. Oh, okay, but uh, uh, yeah, there were thirty. There were thirty thousand people uh, uh, outside of Roberto Clemente High School, mm-hmm. and we marched clean down Division, and uh, it, it was 
Uh, it was awesome. 30,000 people, not a single arrest. Uh, it was a beautiful day. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm at this house party, and, you know, the far northwest side isn't, isn't exactly the friendliest place to protest against police brutality. Obviously, well, to be vocal about it, I should say, because I was protesting in Humboldt Park. But we're talking about it all, and all of a sudden people are like, wait, what, what do you say? You don't like our police? Every person I've ever heard use the phrase, our police has been white or rich. Uh, and uh, like, and then it led to, oh, do you not think America's the greatest country on earth? I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm like, how is that? You people would be flying a Union Jack if this were 1776. Yeah. How dare they condescend on our boys in red? Like, yeah. 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 I, and, that, and I grew up here, uh, and I grew, I grew up in Norwood, and um, uh, it was so I marched. Uh, we we were. I did all the marches that we had and protests that we had here. And and first of all, whew, you want to lose friends fast on the northwest side? Take a yeah. Facebook Live video of yourself. I actually have a friend that just messaged me on Sunday who hasn't spoken to me since 2020. Um, and it's funny because I should message her back, but I it just my it hurts my heart the nasty things that she said. Mm. Uh, she invited me out for drinks and then just laid into me. Another friend I've never spoken to again because her husband's a police officer and she you know she's like you have people next to you that say they should you know kill my husband. I'm like, but there's also people here who just want to have their voices heard and want this to stop. You know, we want to have an impact, and yeah. Uh, so the, yeah, there's there's been a lot of uh, it was very it was very hard, and I, I stand by my decision. But also for me, walking down Raven, just just two three blocks from Onahan, where when I was you know seven eight years old, and the and the kids would hold my face down against the pavement and force feed me uneaten lunches um, because my mom was from Mexico and I looked different. And my friend, whose husband is a cop, she's like, well, that, you know, it's not the same anymore. I'm like. It, yes, it is. I, yeah. You know, when I sent Griffin to Taft, I had to apologize to him when I pulled up to the school because, like, my heart stopped the very first day. I'm like, sweetie, the kids who beat me up, well, they raised the kids that go here. So yeah. I don't, and I was right. You know, when, when Tammy Duckworth won, uh, someone said, uh, oh, I can't believe, uh, I can't use the word, Asian gimp won, was what somebody oh said. And they goodness. used the derogatory term for that. And, when, oh, so this is what I want to come back to, again, the Holocaust. So Griffin went to a field trip on um, in D.C., and this is a longer story, but maybe I wasn't allowed to be a chaperone, so I stalked his trip. Anyway, <laughs> it's, a, it's my book, by the way. I want to hear the longer uh, story sometimes. This is a true story. But, uh, but I went to the, it was International Holocaust Memorial and Day, and uh, I went to the Holocaust Museum, and there were people in MAGA hats in front of me. And, Around the time when he said we weren't going to take any refugees, mm. and and I was like, people are being slaughtered in other countries, and you're it just it was so it was such a contradiction contradiction yeah. to be there and not take in the full weight of what that memorial. I want to go to the one in Skokie. We have one here in Chicago that's supposed to be magnificent. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk, let's talk more about that when we come back, or whatever you want to talk about when we come back on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal and KTNF nine fifty AM Minneapolis St Paul. Hi folks, I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown in Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. 
You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We have enough time for one more phone call. Eight, seven more. Just so I can't get enough. <laughs> you like you like my. Uh, uh, I was telling my friends about uh, Brennan Hennigan and uh, Todd Belcor about stalking. I was I was uh, the the uninvited <laughs> chaperone was what I. <laughs> we need more context so that so people don't think you Someday. mean it. So some yeah. people have heard the story. I'll, I'll figure out how to tell everybody that story. I have to write about it. She was uh, watching over her son. That's I was. Why. I was. I wanted to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like adventures. Uh, we have one more. Uh, I think we have time for one more phone call. We're in the studio with Todd Belcour, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. He's our guest co-host today. You can go to socialchange.site for more information. That's S-I-T-E. And go to Amazon to pick up your copy of The Hard Road. It is the best-selling book in modern philosophy written by our guest in studio, Brandon, Hennig- Brandon Hennigan, who's uh, really, uh, I think, we're going to have fun having him as our Gen Z correspondent. That's, <laughs> that's kind of my goal. And uh, we have a listener who wants to join the conversation. It's David in San Francisco. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Teddy. I'm your guest. I um, was just going to raise the uh, government shutdown as uh, an act of treason. Uh, it's, it's you know being discussed in other stations now. The uh, um, GOP have admitted that they don't want to fix the border, but they're just using it as a front. And so they basically are using the border as an excuse for not uh, uh, passing a budget. And when you think about the the job of the House of Representatives is to put together a budget for America. And they haven't done it in two years. So they've been paid, what, 175 grand a year uh, to uh, not do their jobs. And uh, this idea that they are intentionally sabotaging America, uh, in, a, in less than a month, uh, the government will be shut down. And then the creeps, uh, organized crime, are going to have their way with uh, America. Imagine what's going to happen if the bank examiners uh, are laid off. What's going to happen right. if the EPA is laid off? Uh, there's going to be hazardous waste dumps everywhere. There's going to be go- uh, bank fraud everywhere. There's going to be uh, weights and standards. Uh, uh, you know, Are you going to be able to guarantee that you're actually getting a gallon of gas when you go down to the gas station? No, these babies are, are saboteurs. And then what's worse is they're playing the game for the, the Saudi Arabians who don't want to use the U.S. dollar as the world's currency. And by allowing the American credit rating to fall apart, they're going to set it up so that a kingdom would have more control over the value of our lives than right. a, a, a republic. So, yeah, no. yeah Dave, I, I did not even realize that they uh, so they took, they, they refused to take a procedural vote today, two hours ago before right before we came on the air. Mm-hmm. So I, you know what, I'm going to reach out to our congressman uh, Quigley and uh, Mike Quigley and uh, and see if we can get us up to date in the next couple of days because this does seem like it's going to be another uh, clown show. Oops, I almost said something else. <laughs> I almost <laughs> done myself. Thank you so much for calling, and we appreciate it, Dave, and look forward to hearing from sure. you again. Thank you. Uh, as we head into the uh, to the home stretch, I want to make sure that we highlight some. Of the great events that uh, social change has coming up. 
Oh, yeah. As everyone knows, this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, um, a day of service, a weekend of service. And we have all sorts of opportunities across the nation for people to get involved. Uh, if you're celebrating his commitment to freedom, his legacy of fighting for freedom, make sure you join us in Chicago if you are in Chicago or near Chicago and making sure we're helping people clear their records so they can actually enjoy freedom. People who pay their debt to society are still denied access to all sorts of basic opportunities like housing, jobs, whatever. Uh, we want to make sure that we're doing our part to make sure people can move on past that. If you're in the Georgia area, southeast, you know, if you have my LSU folk, uh, we have opportunities for folks, you know, it's what they consider cold weather. I mean, I'm being kind of silly in this regard, but it's, it's chilly and providing warm clothing yeah. and, and care packages for people out in that area. And on the West Coast, uh, <clears throat> we're doing work to make sure we're feeding some of our hungry and our unhoused. So please check in, tune in, tap in at Shy Social Change on Instagram, Twitter, and X. Uh, we'd love for people to be involved. Of course, if you can't make it, spread the word on social media. Uh, if you have the means, please donate. But either way, thank you for the opportunity to be here and share some of our work, Patty. And it's great to meet you, Brendan, as well. Excellent. Well, I want to thank my guests. Thank you so much for coming in, Brennan, and love to have you Always again soon. Honor. Congratulations again on yeah, the wonderful real. news about your book, and we look forward. I look forward to reading it, and I will have you back in soon. And uh, uh, this Friday, uh-huh. six to eight p.m., Irish Heritage Center, uh, open to the public. It is. It, yes, it is. All right, I, I might be able to swing by, but after my show, I'll come by. By all means, by all and means, and hang out. What are we doing on Friday? I'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> thank you. That's at the Irish American Heritage Center over on Knox. Uh, if, you, if you know when you get off the Edens at Wilson, it's right there at the top of the hill. Just take a right. More. Uh, have a great That's night. That's a very Chicago description. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Andy Miles, uh, for making everything go well. Everyone here at WCPT, Matt Cummings. Uh, uh, every, I can name everybody. Bye, everyone.